Patients are becoming very much part of design of clinical trials and design of innovation. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. Joining me for his last podcast of 2022, because he's on holiday from this evening, we've got Akish. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. I'm very, very well. Looking forward to a break. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Tell me where you were at about quarter to two on Monday evening. Sorry, on Tuesday morning, because oh, that was 1.45 a.m. Quarter, uh, quarter to two, uh, two a.m. <laughs> I was in a room, in a hotel room with you, eating yeah. uh, McDonald's with a couple of our colleagues. Uh, eating McDonald's I'll, with Amber, also of this podcast. Amber of this podcast, yeah. Um, and, 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 and Tom Elliott. And Tom Elliott, yeah. Um, yeah, having, having, a, having a McDonald's, sat in your hotel room, uh, and, and for the benefit of, of this this podcast and you think you know um us three had been under intoxication you obviously don't drink you're you're sober <laughs> so I, I could just imagine you know what what you know what uh ah, you were yeah. fairly with it to be fair you weren't yeah. you weren't too pissed yeah. okay all, all three of you i think if you had been you were fairly sober by the time we i mean let's face it we got our uber driver to take us to mcdonald's on the way back and that took about 20 minutes extra so we did yeah yeah and, and also, it was think, absolutely freezing so yeah i think the cold snapped it out of us to be honest yeah absolutely um, there is a point to this right <laughs> people are like what, what are they going people, on about? people are like we don't want to hear what these two get up to when they're drunk uh, well what i got up to when i'm drunk anyway uh look the reason for this is that our first guest on the show today is christine schindler and christine is the founder co-founder rather and ceo of PathSpot, who have created a system to protect businesses by scanning hands to detect harmful contaminants that cause common illnesses. And if there's one thing that I would like to make sure is the case is that if you go to McDonald's when you're a bit pissed or whatever else at the end of a night, especially just before Christmas when you don't want to get ill, you want to hope that the kitchen staff have got clean hands. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, while she was saying that, this is going to sound really bad. <laughs> oh... I think I may, I, I'm not sure, but I think I may have washed my hands possibly like, like properly, like properly washed my hands maybe in the morning. Like I maybe gave him a little rinse, but like, you know, the 20 seconds in, out, back, forth, forward, all this. Singing happy birthday. Yeah. That's, that sounds bad, isn't it? Like. <laughs> should have used the scanner on your hands before before you got back in the car with our mcdonald's yeah i know i should have oh god anyway right here's what it is well look christine's our guest first guest later on in the show we're going to hear from dr atul gupta who is the chief medical officer um for philips's most innovative business the um, or one of their most innovative businesses, rather, the Image Guided Therapy Unit. So that's a little bit later on in the show. First of all, let's hand over to Christine. So I'm chatting to Christine, um, the CEO and co-founder of PathSpot. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time out to join us here. Um, based in New York? Yes, based in split my time between our two offices, one in New York and one in Plano, Texas. That's 
quite a trip. Post-pandemic, how are you doing that? Because I imagine it's much easier to perhaps work from home rather than necessarily being in one or the other. <laughs> or do, you need, you, do you need to be there? Yeah, you know, our team um, has operated as an essential business through this entire time, actually. So we've stayed full-time in office and... Right. Uh, you know, serving our our customers with healthcare, you know, technology solutions. Let's let's talk about what PathSpot do because that'll give some context there. When you say that you know <laughs> you've had to stay reasonably hands on because of the area, to so the specific area that you you work in, can't go hybrid. Yes, absolutely. I think that we bring digital technologies around safety, hygiene, and health to everyday life, especially in restaurants, packaging facilities, cafeterias, grocery, anywhere where food is handled, stored, or served. So obviously our customers were all in person and in providing these, you know, especially hygiene, sanitation, and safety technology systems to them, we wanted to be able to be there on the ground right there with them. And it does sound like the kind of idea that the pandemic would have brought about. But actually, if you look at LinkedIn, now, LinkedIn can always be a bit vague. It might not be, <laughs> might not be wonderfully accurate, but it says that the company started in July 2017. How, how accurate is that? Yes, we, we started working on this several years before the, the pandemic. And, you know, I think obviously so many challenges, but the some of the silver linings that I've seen, you know, now almost entering 2023 is this light that's been shined on the importance of hygiene and safety and technologies to drive those in everyday environments. And so we feel really fortunate that we've got to be at that forefront of bringing new technologies into these environments and, and sharing what we were working on. But definitely a change. I used to spend the first, you know, five minutes of every picture conversation explaining the importance of hand washing and mm. you need to wash for 20 seconds and and here's why i don't have to do that anymore i think everyone knows uh the the importance of hand washing and, and hygiene well it's funny you know a lot of these a lot of these interviews are remote we're spending the day in new york talking to a lot of different people and it, it kind of jarred with me hang on a minute i'm shaking lots of people's hands one after another this is not something that actually i'm used to anymore I should have brought a, a scanner. No. We could have checked them. <laughs> yeah, that. Perhaps not. No, um, look, let, let's talk a little bit about your background. You, you studied biomedical engineering. Um, you worked in the developing world for a while. What got you to this point? What got you to the point where PathSpot was, was an organization that was, yeah, this is the right time. This is the right solution. I studied biomedical engineering and global and public health and am incredibly passionate about that intersection of medical tools and technologies into everyday life and global and public health care solutions. And having spent time in the developing world, I was working on technologies and the research side to be able to bring low-cost, accessible, durable, but of course medical-grade tools and technologies to those resource-constricted populations. Um, and, you know, being back in the U.S. working full-time in the healthcare sphere inspector, I just started to see all of these public health issues here domestically with a totally different lens and felt like there were all these challenges we were facing here that could also benefit from low cost, you know, durable, but medical grade tools and technologies in, in those sources. And one of them at the time, you know, just on the news were these huge issues of, of foodborne illnesses, people getting incredibly sick, hospitalizations, you know, even deaths from these massive outbreaks that 
by the way, were costing brands, you know, billions of dollars. And, and I started to dive into why, you know, what's causing those? Um, why is that happening? And it turned out that it was really predictable measures that, that were very preventable, hand washing and hygiene, uh, food control of temperatures, you know, task management of day-to-day safety systems, um, these things that were not digital and, and had no way of being uh, cared for in an environment, um, but were causing, you know, these major issues. And so I thought, you know, if, if no one's working on this, then maybe I should. And I started going door to door restaurants in my nights and weekends. I would get up at 6am and knock on doors till midnight and ask people about these challenges with, with health and safety in their environments. And what was the initial reaction to you doing that? If you're, as you said, you know, you used to have to spend five minutes setting the context. So this, it, can't, it must have been a slight uphill challenge for people. <laughs> you know, it was interesting though, those in restaurants and safety they understood that this was a real problem and challenge. You know, they were saying to me, I've waited 10 years for something like this to exist. How come I have access to all of this on my phone and laptop, but I have no way of monitoring hand wash quality in my restaurant locations? Um, and so they, they thought I was a bit crazy because I showed up every day building a new version of the product with a 3D printer in, in my apartment bathroom. Um, but, you know, we really got real traction, you know, even then in a pre-pandemic situation where people realized we have to be able to level up our technology and our tools to create safe work environments. Obviously, you studied biomedical engineering, but how did you get the credibility, I suppose, with, with your would-be customers? If you're, you're saying there, you used a 3D printer, you're building it in your bathroom. I mean, there must have been some question marks about, hang on a minute, is this legit? Does this work? You know, ha- <laughs> have you got the approval of, of existing medical kind of... Uh, the existing medical practitioners, etc. Yeah, you know, we're really fortunate to be able to go through the process of getting several certifications on the tool and technology, as well as as we grew our team, you know, being able to hire people with extreme expertise in this area as well. So while I was able to develop the initial algorithms and, and build those first versions of the product, you know, building it and growing it into a robust solution that it is today, combined with so many new tools, add-ons and technologies that we've realized are so essential for protecting the overall safety and, and creating that culture really of safety and sanitation and hygiene and cleanliness for an overall environment, you know, that, that's been a huge focus area. Area for us. Now, obviously, the, the product itself is something that you've built. But I suppose if we think about medtech businesses, a large part of their value is preventative. You know, if you're thinking about um, the treatment of diseases, it's about stopping people even getting to hospital. I suppose for you, actually unlocking the data, the advice in terms of, oh, actually, you want to take these steps so that you don't even find that you're falling foul of, of the products is one of the key benefits that you can now offer to clients, right? Absolutely. You know, we're creating data here where data didn't exist around really important and core critical areas. So by monitoring across a whole restaurant system, and we work with several very large, you know, chain organizations. So evaluating it across an entire footprint as well as entire locations, you know, we're looking at how well, how often, and how frequently did we see the correct hand washing practices. Now let's tie that into the overarching safety 
procedures, including safety task management, temperature control across different food prep areas in an establishment, and of course, the disease detection component as well of being able to prevent these harmful illnesses. So we take that data, and then we have a team that actually sits down with the safety teams, QA teams, and helps them refine, build, and create processes and SOPs to make sure that their their locations are as safe as possible, both for the customers and for the employees who work there. And we really see that be felt by the team members who get to use our products on a day-to-day basis. You know, the things that are so motivating for me is when I hear people who are on the ground, you know, share with back with us through their channels that they feel safer in their work environment because of our solutions. They feel more aware, more educated ability to protect themselves and their own families in those environments. You know, that's, that's huge for us. Now, one of the kind of the secret ingredients of any successful startup is scalability. Um, often when we talk to medtech businesses and you're dealing with patient data, there are some uh, very obvious uh, kind of compliance and regulatory issues around maybe limiting scalability, especially in Britain, if you're working with the NHS, how easy it is that then to, to replicate in other countries. Um, here, you're not dealing with patient data. Um, so I suppose there is that scalable angle. And you, you said before we hit record that you're working in the US, but also in Australia and in Europe. I suppose your market, restaurants are everywhere. Food is everywhere. But what are the challenges still that you found in trying to build a global customer base? Absolutely. You know, because we're not working with personal health data, we are able to scale this very quickly across the establishments that we work with um, and install, you know, multiple versions and and components of our product to, to create that holistic picture across their establishments, both internationally and domestically. And and many of the organizations we work with are, you know, global chains and brands. And like you said, you know, food services everywhere from, from restaurants to grocery yep. to packaging facilities. You know, I think we get a ton of requests and, and one challenge we have is we get a lot of interest from other verticals and industries as well. As you can imagine, you know, we're getting inbound interest daily from hospitals, schools, nursing homes, airports, individuals looking at this for at-home use. You know, from a scalability perspective, we really want to make sure our products impact and are creating that broader value, not just in an, an installation and leave it behind. We really have this program that we work with the establishments to be able to build out and create. So we want to be really intentional in how we scale. And that's why we've decided to start in in one industry. But but stay tuned for, for you know, Passbot solutions to be in, in broader industries as well. Of course. And, and there you talk about it needing to be intentional. That takes real kind of organizational discipline. How do you make sure that that, that is something that you really kind of adhere to? Because it must... It must be really kind of tempting. You must, I suppose, kind of from a financial backing point of view, the the, the growth kind of uh, potential must be tempting. Absolutely. I mean, and we are excited about the growth ability in so many different directions and, and really with this mission in mind of being able to create a healthier world with these products that we know we can bring into day-to-day life in so many different instances. But we've really focused on hiring experts who know the industries that we work in, that understand it and have you know ex- experience uh, for many, many years in the different components so that they can specialize in being able to build this into the most impactful solution possible. Because we also recognize that 
what we're doing in a lot of senses is, is in some ways new. Things that were done on pen and paper or had no ability to be tracked or backed by data at all, you know, now we're introducing this into an establishment. And so it's very important to us that culturally we build that into the way that they work and communicate it effectively so that we see that optimal impact. One last question then that's on a slight tangent, but you work in the technology industry, you're working with data. Um, I was lucky enough two weeks ago to hear Madame Zelenska uh, open Web Summit in Portugal and, and address that conference by talking about the opportunity for technology to be both positive and negative, but imploring that technology is positive in trying to help areas where there are crisis around the world. As someone who is part of that technology community, what do you see the opportunities for technology um, as right now in the world in terms of fixing some of those problems? And where do you see some concerns? Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly exciting to see, you know, we'll talk a bit about our hand-washing data. We never had any way to validate or encourage or incentivize proper hand-washing prior to this. So we take every single hand scan where we're detecting for invisible contaminants on employees' hands, and we back that into our data program and our machine learning algorithm, and we give really specific insights to team members. Hmm. So what might that look like is we might see across a location, hey, you know, nine times out of 10, we're seeing contaminant happen in a specific pattern on your hand, and we've traced that back to the bowls you use. How often do you wash your bowls? Oh, you only wash them, you know, once a day? Let's add in more washes for the bowls, then we'll also decrease overarching contamination and we'll protect each employee. Or we track it back to different triggers. For example, every time a limited time offer is introduced in an establishment, we see overarching sanitation and hygiene standards really decrease. Which makes sense. People are really busy. They're not focused on it. But by creating programs around hand washing and hygiene, because we know that trigger, making it actionable, it's really powerful to see that impact and instantly see contamination rates go down and number of hand washes go up to keep people safe. Mm. So what I see from that is that by giving people specific information about their data, we're actually able to make them have a higher level of accountability and a higher level of understanding. You know, when you think about it as telling someone, yeah, 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 it's important for you to wash your hands for 20 seconds once an hour. Does that mean anything to me as a team member or as an individual? But when I say, hey, in your location, these are specific insights that we gathered from your data, making something actionable, helping people understand, you know, that's where you create real lasting and existing change. So I think if data is utilized appropriately by those Mm. who own it in these establishments, it can be a really impactful thing to start to see the overarching you know, desire for individuals, brands, stores to, to change and, and really create a healthier environment overall. Forgive me for asking this. Um, I'm 100% on board with everything that you're saying, but I suppose one question pops into my mind listening to you talk, and that might be, is there a question mark around sustainability here? Especially when you're advocating wash more. Obviously, wash more makes sense, but I suppose <laughs> there is that thing around, you know, water resources, etc. perhaps kind of products or chemicals that are needed in, in, in the sanitation process. Is there a question mark there to be addressed? I'm sure there is. I'm sure you probably have thought it through, but it, it would be uh, reticent, I think, not to ask. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. What we really do is try to make it as easy, accessible, and 
you know, fun as possible. So we actually put these next to each hand washing sink um, and we put our technologies across an entire restaurant establishment. And in that way, we're actually just encouraging the SOPs that are already in place. You know, we have recommendations from the FDA, from the NSF that tell us how often we need to be washing our hands. The reality is we get busy. We, we forget. We're not thinking about it or we don't know to wash for the full 20 seconds or we miss a spot. We're trying to not create or reinvent the wheel here, but to instead embed technology into something that's already been determined to be the best practice yeah. for keeping our society safe. Look, I want to uh, thank you for your time today. Uh, thanks for coming in and making some time to talk to us. And I hope that it continues to go well and that you're able to, to grow, as you said, in that intentional way. Absolutely. Thank you for the time. First of all, fair play. She started, like, I, when I was interviewing her, in my head, initially, it's like, this is like a pandemic innovation, right? Yeah. Washing hands, hygiene. But no, this was pre-pandemic. Yeah. Which, which is weird, right? Because this is the whole hand washing, hand sanitizing stuff. I mean, yeah, people were doing it before, but it was uh, it was elevated, should we say, during the pandemic. And, you know, people were very much sort of, you know, urged to do it and stuff. And that's how it was spreading like how COVID is spending and whatnot, but something something like this is is pretty pretty decent, right? Especially the whole that it's not always on the hands. Like there's a point in the interview, right, where she says that you know it's like people's pots or something, or mm. you know stuff that they're handling it. The the germs might actually be on that as compared to people's hands, and maybe you need to wash that rather than someone else. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole there's a whole side of this. When I start listening to Christine talk and, and kind of think about passport, you kind of go, businesses protecting businesses absolutely because think about the days of lost productivity and collaboration by people not being in the office. And yes, mm. hybrid working here to stay. We know hybrid working works, but we also mm. know that there's nothing quite the same as collaboration when you're with the, with your colleagues. Yeah. So if you are able to detect harmful germs coming into the office or whatever else, or you've got a device that can pick up on it and you make sure that you're less likely to transmit germs. Mm. I just think we're a lot more conscious of it now. And when you are a little bit ill, etiquette is not to come into the office because you don't need to. But then you know whether or not you're likely to spread germs. And Christ, the amount of times that you go to a, a an event, a, an intercompany event... Mm. And there's an outbreak of COVID these days. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, been to a party, been to a, been to a presentation, whatever else, 10 people have got COVID. Mm. It protects against that. And it protects then against the lost productivity that an organisation faces afterwards. Well, this is it, right? I mean, even <coughs> this cough wasn't for uh, dramatic, uh, <laughs> for, for, for any dramatic reasons. But even now, like you mentioned, you know, our kind of organization had their party on monday and i could probably count on two and a half hands like you know how many people i know that i work with closely that are real or you know have sore throats coughs fevers you know these sorts of things yeah. and it's it's all because everyone gets excited everyone's on the dance floor i mean you know everyone's singing abba and all that sort of hugging thing. hugging kissing, spinning each other around you yeah know, pe people that you don't even kiss like this is what I find. Being human. Funny. Being human, right? But people that you wouldn't, like, if I saw them in the office, I wouldn't necessarily embrace them. But you see yeah. them at a Christmas party, you're kissing cheeks, like, you're, yeah. you're all this, and it's just, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but it's it's a great idea. But also at the same time, do you want to be? I mean, I mean, who's going to take that job of being that person to say, look, you know, oh, you you've brought in the the germs out. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that must be a little bit embarrassing for the person, um, the person doing it, and then the person who's carrying it, I guess. But. I don't know. Yes and no. I mean, I think we get it now. Like, I think the pandemic, prior to the pandemic, I think this would have been an uphill, uphill struggle. And the fact that mm. that uh, Christine created a prototype, 3D printer, and went knocking door to door. Like, that's, it's funny. We had Eric Lee, uh, co-founding CTO of, of, of LinkedIn on the show two weeks ago. And, mm. and I asked him about, you know, the the... the the common threads that he sees in all successful entrepreneurs. And he talks about hard work and being smart. And he said, sometimes those are in conflict because you think about smart cutting corners, Mm. but actually you can't cut corners. There is an element of this where you just have to work hard. Christine getting a prototype and knocking on door to door to door when this was not something that would have been immediately like the idea of, Oh yeah. All right. I know. I know. I know I need to wash my hands. You know, prize the pandemic. Yeah. That's like fair play. Like, yeah. To, to, to get to the point where she now is, where, you know, time has recognised it as one of the best inventions. Um, you know, uh, she's raised over 10.5 million worth of dollars. Um, it's it's really impressive. And yeah. it, it's testament to her going and literally putting in the yards. Yeah, it's, it's very good. And also with something like that, right, <clears throat> a lot of the times, I mean, you know, our, our guests are there or thereabouts kind of, technology related the, the industries that they are working in normally are you know the, the kind of white collared you know up and coming edgy type things but something like this you know product i mean I'm, I'm just thinking about uses in my head like nursing homes for example right like mm-hmm. this time of year people visiting you know people visiting their grandparents or parents and partners or whatever and you know like that's already a very sensitive environment where any illnesses if they run through can be you know devastating so just to kind of you know get things at a very early stage that would be absolutely great it would really really help right and and having something like that i think would be yeah just would be very very good um you think about hospitals you think about you know i don't know like work events like you said even traveling like airports right um there's there's so many uses um so yeah i do i do think she's onto a winner there and the whole like knocking doors down you know going out championing her sort of product and you know really kind of showing that she's sort of bought in herself which obviously i think all co-founders have to be or founders have to be um yeah i think it's great really really good the, the other use by the way like where that blue collar white collar for want of better phrases new collar as well all comes together events i, I went to several events post pandemic um i went to unleash world in paris mm. i am pretty sure i had a bit of a scratchy throat when i was there and i didn't really think anything of it mm. and i got back and my wife wasn't very well and I and she was like just she was testing negative for COVID, but she was like just testing case maybe you know what did I do? I tested positive for COVID. Mm. I don't know for sure. 
but I might have had COVID during that entire conference. Mm. I might have been, and I was shaking people's hands, interviewing them. I'm sorry to anyone during that conference. I hope <laughs> you didn't get ill after meeting me. It's you, but it's you. All this time, I might have been, been a super spreader. All this time, yeah. they've been waiting to see. I've outed myself. Yeah, he's come clean. He's come clean. <laughs> but path path spots um, tech here would be would have been perfect for that conference. So you got people. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because people kind of want to get together. They want to see each other. But at the same mm. time, we have to, I suppose, be a little bit more responsible and think of others. And we don't we don't want to make people ill. And it's so easy to spread. And here's an invention that just helps a little bit of of guard against that. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I think um, I think having something like that is great, right? And and that will only help things sort of moving forward as well. So very, very good. We're going to take a break in a moment. When we come back afterwards, um, the interview is going to be, as I said, with Dr. Atul Gupta. Um, Dr. Atul Gupta is, as I said, uh, Chief Medical Officer for um, Imaging um, at Philips, the IGT. Uh, he's an interventional radiologist by background um, based in Philadelphia and he's talking about this intersection between technology and healthcare and to an extent that's what we've been talking about with PathSpot PathSpot really because this is all about preventing disease through using digital technologies um, at Web Summit this year where I met um, Atul he was a speaker at Web Summit first ever time there was a MedTech health tech track for a day at the conference really um, and an opportunity yeah yeah I know um, and oh. that kind of coming together Mm. of digital and traditional health to try and break through some of these bottlenecks and it's preventative it's mm. you know that that's what they're looking for here like making mm. easing strains on 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 the services around the world by preventing people ended up ending up in situations where they need as much care or mm. or help so that's what we've got coming up definitely worth staying tuned for but akish thank you for all of your help this year i hope you have a a lovely festive break you're well, in london uh i am yeah i'm I'm in and around london yeah so i'll be I'll how's be. the real tree uh drying out a little bit you know <laughs> you water it. it i have i have i don't know it's, it's got a bit of discoloration from one side it's oh, getting man. a bit you know but i think i went too early i went too early and went natural that's what i've been told because i went and saw the guy that i bought uh the tree off and i said wait what's happening here mate you're giving me dodgy goods um but he's, he's, he basically said that I went a bit too early. And, and obviously in that room, I mean, I've got a fireplace and stuff, which I have been using because it's been double cold. But yeah, we'll see. Sup, Jeremy. So it should be all right. But I appreciate Thank it. Thank you tuning in, everyone. No, no, this no going, problem. This is our last show before Christmas as well. So uh, yeah. so to Merry everyone Christmas. who celebrates it. Yeah. yeah. And to everyone else for that matter. Merry Christmas. Have a lovely break. And uh, Akish will be back in the new year. Tech Talks will be back between Christmas and New Year. So if you're stuck for something to listen to or you want to escape the family, uh, stay tuned. Now, as I said, Dr. Axel Gupta after this. Here at Tech Talks, we're very lucky to have a lot of content and sometimes we're not entirely sure what to do with it. For example, when we go to a conference, we will quite regularly meet 15 or 20 people and not know how to get them all on the show. So we've created something new, Tech Talks Extra, for those snippets from conference floors or from one-off events that we don't quite know how to fit into your regular Tuesday show. Tech Talks Extra is free. It's on a private RSS, so you do need to sign up for it and subscribe. But as I say, it's free and all you need to do is hand over your email address and in return, 
we'll give you instructions of how to access all of that additional content. To get instructions and to sign up to the show so you can play it on Apple and Google podcast players, all you need to do is go to www.nashsquared.com forward slash the hyphen hub forward slash tech hyphen talks hyphen extra hyphen sign up hyphen form. Alternatively, have a look at the link in the show notes. Probably a bit of an easier way to do it. Don't miss out on all the bonus content that we've got from the likes of Web Summit, Unleash World, or from any internal events that we're running. So today I've got the pleasure of being joined by Dr. Atul Gupta, CMO at Philips, not Chief Marketing Officer, as is often the, the slant on this show, but Chief Medical Officer. Thank you for taking some time to talk. Thank you for having me, David. Pleasure to be here. Also nice to it's see you again. To, yeah, I was going to say, it's nice to follow up. Yeah, we had a chance to meet just a few weeks ago at what was a remarkable Congress for me at, at Web Summit. Why remarkable? Because I can't imagine 75,000 people getting together to talk about all things technology. It's not what we typically see in healthcare, but uh, it, it was really an eye-opening experience. How was the health tech stage? Because um, before we, when we recorded, sorry, it was before you'd had a chance to really get up and engage and, and see how that ran. And obviously, at the time, you said this isn't the kind of conference I normally go to. It's normally healthcare conferences. Did it did it meet expectations? Uh, I think it beat my expectations because, uh, uh, yeah, the health, ter- health, health tech stage was, was fantastic. I, I spoke on the future of image-guided therapy and using tools like augmented reality. Uh, mm-hmm. And we had several thousand people in the audience, tons of follow-up, and it was remarkable for me to see how much interest there is uh, in health technology uh, at a Congress like that. But it only makes sense if you think about it, because a lot of the tools that we're using in healthcare start out in the consumer world. And, and we're very reliant on all things technology, not technology that healthcare creates, but technology that exists in our day-to-day world, uh, except it has to be perfect when you take care of patients. Let's start with the fact that you are Chief Medical Officer at Philips. To me, Philips is... Um a consumer electronics brand, and I know that that's wrong, so please correct me. Uh, You're partially right. Philips used to be a consumer electronics brand. In fact, Philips is a 131-year-old company that, at the end of the day, is really about innovation. That's the business Philips has been in. But as you alluded to about 11 years ago, Philips pivoted and is now a pure health technology company. So everything Philips creates today is in the field of healthcare. Quite a big shift uh, for a company that was basically founded in light bulbs and consumer electronics. So when I say healthcare, that means everything from healthy living and prevention to diagnosing disease, things like CAT scans and MRIs and x-rays, to image-guided therapy, the the business I'm in, the, the business that I'm the chief medical officer of, where we can actually treat you without opening up. And then, of course, there's also home care and telemedicine and a huge platform of data on top of all of these areas to link it all together. So that's, in a nutshell, what Philips does now. And it has quite an, quite, quite a, a heady ambition. We, we aim to improve the lives of 2.5 billion, with a B, patients per year by 2030. And we're already well on our way to achieving that. Already, if you do the numbers, about 1.6 billion people per year have their lives improved by one of our healthcare technologies. Uh, so it's, it's I think, an incredible business to be in. Now, look, I did say at the beginning, Dr. Atul Gupta, you are a physician, as, as is kind of obvious from what you've been saying. But how did you end up working in enterprise? Why did, why did you decide that Philips was the place to be, perhaps, um, 
rather than than I suppose when you're at medical school. I, I, I'm just thinking that's probably not the career route that you necessarily envisage, but able to affect a huge amount of change with the technology that you're now working on. Yeah, so I, uh, as you said, I'm a, a practicing physician. I still practice uh, a couple days per month. Uh, and I've been practicing in, in, in the Philadelphia suburbs for over 20 years as a, a, a diagnostic radiologist and an interventional radiologist. So what that means is we do minimally invasive procedures treating you uh, by using imaging to see inside of you without cutting you open. Um, why did I join Philips? It was never part of the master plan. Um, I was very happy working in a four hospital health system. Um, taking care of patients uh, for the past 20 some odd years. But I'm also very interested in technology. The type of specialty I'm in is very technologically uh, dependent. We tend to be gadget heads, tech heads. And so we we are, it's a relatively new specialty, interventional radiology and image guided therapy. I'm maybe 20, 30 years old. Um, and so for the entire time I've been practicing, I also was working with Philips, unofficially helping them develop some of these technologies. You know, I would say, hey, guys, I, I need to be able to image ultrasound and X-ray in the room at the same time. Could you invent a way to put these two images together on one screen? Uh, and they did. And, and this collaboration started to get very interesting. So about seven years ago, I decided to formalize the process. And, and I joined Philips full time as chief medical officer of the image guided therapy business. Why is it that we need... And this might be a bit of an obvious question, but it'd be just interesting to, to get your perspective, you know... Why is it that we, we have a reliance on enterprise, on external organizations to help? Because, you know, within the American system, I would imagine that there are a lot of obviously private actors. But, but where does that expertise, where does that innovation come from, from outside that perhaps isn't engendered within the medical profession? I, you know, I think I often say collaboration leads to the best innovation. It's not, healthcare is too big for one stakeholder to, to, to go at it alone. And I think that's been the mistake historically. If you want to move the needle in healthcare, we need industry to work together with physicians and hospitals and payers and governments uh, because, you know, a hospital cannot invent the next interventional suite. They just don't have the tools. But industry that is inventing an interventional suite needs the know-how, the unmet need of that the doctors and the nurses and the C-suite have. Um, and it's not just enough to have technology anymore. You also have to have health economics to prove that we can do more with less. And that's why you need to have the payers involved and people like NHS involved and governments involved. So when I say um, collaboration leads to the best innovation, uh, you, you have to have everybody coming together. By the way, the one piece that's missing that I, is, I shouldn't have left out is patience. Increasingly, uh, and we're seeing this now even with the US FDA, patients are becoming very much part of design of clinical trials and design of innovation. And also in Philips, we rely heavily on the patient perspective as we create these tools. It's never about making technology and just shoving it out there and hoping it sticks. You have to start with the unmet need. And the unmet need is very different for me as a physician or you as a patient or a hospital that has to pay for it. So technology, you, you've mentioned there, you, you'd got, you'd get in touch and you'd say, I need to have a look at an ultrasound and an x-ray together. Is that possible? Can you help? Can you invent? Uh, and, and the result was that, yes, they could help. How can technology help more broadly, if we look forward, um, healthcare and, and in terms of delivering results for patients, which is, of course, what you're looking to do? Well, I think to answer that question, maybe we should take a step back and say, what are the problems that we're seeing in the world of healthcare today? I, I know, David, that you travel all over the world. I travel all over the world. And um, while there certainly are differences 
in, in healthcare around the world, I think the similarities are, 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 are far greater. And what I'm seeing all across the world is that patients are getting older. They're getting sicker. And that means the workloads are intensifying for physicians and staff. That's problem number one. Problem number two, staff shortages are rampant. Pick up the newspaper on any country, that's your headline. Uh, there's burnout amongst doctors, burnout amongst nurses. It's at an all-time high. Uh, and what that means is that we have these huge waiting lists to get in. By the way, this was happening even before COVID, but it's certainly been exacerbated by COVID. So staff shortages is problem number two. And then, David, I don't need to tell you the healthcare funds are shrinking no matter where you are in the world. So we desperately need to increase efficiency, do more with less. So those are the three problems. But technology, I think, health technology, digital tools can help address all of these things. So I suppose what I'd be interested to find out about is a little bit more than around image-guided therapy, because... You, you, you mentioned that you were talking about it in Lisbon. I, as I have been open with you, and as I have been open on the podcast uh, on a number of occasions, have had some interaction in hospital a little bit over the last few years, I have an idea about what you might be talking about. But I think actually, given our audience, it'd be really useful to get a, to get a clear definition from yourself about what we're talking about here. Um, so image-guided therapy is fancy words for what I consider to be modern-day surgery. It's using minimally invasive techniques that allow us to do what surgery used to do, or maybe facilitate new procedures that were never possible before. So David, if you start from the beginning, surgery goes back thousands of years. And for almost all of that time, it required us to open up a patient to see the disease. But now, thanks to technology, technology that actually we and Philips have pioneered, doctors like me now have access to imaging technology, things like x-ray and ultrasound, MRI and CAT scan, so I can see inside your body without opening you up. So that's the imaging, but that's just half of the equation. The other half of the equation is therapy. Not only does technology allow me to see inside of you, but I also have access to innovative miniature devices, things like angioplasty balloons and laser fibers, vascular implants that I can guide through your body to treat you without opening you up. And that's the therapy. So at Philips, what we're doing is we're coupling our imaging to our therapy. And that's why we call it image-guided therapy. And you talked a bit about augmented reality, I think, uh, being one of the topics that you talked a little bit about at, at Lisbon. Correct me if I'm wrong. But is there an element then that you as a, you're a practicing physician, but you're based in the, the northwest of the U.S.? You have a skill set that can help a hell of a lot of people, but traditionally you wouldn't be able to reach them. I suppose there is, an, there is a, a possibility here then that you can use your skills to help a huge amount more people in, in locations that it wouldn't previously have been possible. Yeah, I think that we have solutions uh, already. Uh, augmented reality is but one, and certainly it could increase the reach of physicians, and we have people around the world that are exploring this. So for instance... Um, one could look over the shoulder and, and virtually help somebody uh, get through a case. Uh, as I alluded to before, we have staff shortages. Um, and what that means is that we have these huge waiting lists. There's also another phenomenon that is not reported that much. It's not just the great resignation that people like to talk about. It's also the great retirement. The World Health Organization uh, commissioned a, a study in the EU, actually, just a few months ago. And it turns out that physicians are aging, aging heavily in many countries, and there's not an inflow of physicians to replace them. 
something like 60% of physicians in Italy are, are over the age of 55. So it's not just the great resignation, we have a great retirement. So this is gonna cause a tremendous amount of staff shortage. So we do need to create technology to, to allow more people to be treated uh, 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 with less staff. Augmented reality, virtual medicine, telemedicine, these are tools that allow physicians, experts in one part of the world to communicate, to look over the shoulder, to help walk through a procedure uh, in another part of the world. We have solutions already, so this is not just futuristic. So for instance, we've embedded some uh, 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 video tools within our ultrasound system. So we have what we call point of care ultrasound. It's a handheld ultrasound. We call, we call it bring your own device. It's, it's a mobile phone or an, uh, a tablet that um, you, you bring and you just attach our ultrasound probe. The, the, the ultrasound has been miniaturized so that the whole ultrasound is now in the palm of your hand. And so now you can imagine how in, in remote parts of the world, midwives are doing fetal ultrasounds, uh, but they're being assisted because there's a video connection where they can communicate with an obstetrician or a gynecologist in London or New York or Tokyo to help them walk them through this procedure. So that's an example of how we're increasing the reach of, of, of care using these digital tools. That sounds fantastic. I, I suppose there is a question around what are the barriers to delivering the healthcare efficiently and effectively? Because you described there that situation with midwives and being able to work with, with other medical practitioners in other parts of the world. Are there capacity issues? Are there, what are the challenges? What are the barriers? Because I could imagine that you know, doctors are already, certainly in the UK, quite overworked. And if you're adding kind of easy to use technology that, that perhaps compounds that problem, there may be some interesting challenges that still need to be worked through. Well, you identified a very good point. Uh, one of the challenges I see is that um, we're very behind the times in healthcare hospitals. Do you know when I'm working in a hospital, I'm still using a beeper and our hospitals are still using fax machines. I defy you to find somebody in another industry that's using beepers and fax machines, but that's the way ho hospitals and healthcare has traditionally been. And we need to get healthcare to keep up with the strides that are being made in technology. Uh, so that means education. We have to educate people on using some of these digital tools in healthcare. Um, also, access to care is, is a very big problem. Um, now, you just described a phenomenon where how are we going to use our, our physicians in the UK that are already overworked and our nurses that are already overworked to do more? Well, I think part of the solution is, is by letting tools use, um, letting our tools allow other individuals besides physicians and nurses to help take care of patients. People like physician assistants, which is being used in the United States. Our digital tools, things like AI, can take, all, take up a lot of the monotonous, repetitive tasks and uplift junior physicians, younger physicians, physician assistants to deliver a higher level of care. So no longer are you reliant only on, on the experts. You can increase the expertise of junior physicians and physician assistants to allow more people to be treated. So what excites you about the future? We talked today about some of the some of the challenges. You've also described how the technology can help. Where, where do you see this going? You obviously, you mentioned the, the, the future gazing aspect when, when you were in Lisbon. What, what's the stuff coming down the pipeline that makes you really excited to work in this field? Well, um, 
you know, one of the best parts of my job is uh, getting to dream about the future of healthcare. And I, I get a little bit of an inside look at where healthcare is going over the next five to 10 years, because those are the roadmaps that we talk about in healthcare. It's not like a, uh, six months from now, you'll have something brand new. It takes seven years, eight years for, for products to come out in healthcare because of the regulatory environment and the need to have it 100% accurate all the time. So things like augmented reality, robotics, automation, artificial intelligence, um, new ways of imaging without x-ray, fiber optic real shape sensing is a technology that we have where we can visualize devices in the human body without x-ray. Quite a disruptive statement for a company that's been in the x-ray business for a century. These are some of the technologies for you to keep your eye on over the next five to 10 years, and there's stuff that are already being developed today. I think, um, I think it's exciting. I think it's an area that's relevant. Um... I, I know just local healthcare delivery here in the UK is under strain at the minute due to funding. So to know that there are companies out there developing technology that might help that and help some of that congestion is, is really exciting. So I want to really thank you for your time today. I hope that um, we see you at more technology conferences, spreading that message and collaborating, because I think that can obviously lead to some solutions. And um, given where we are right now, Enjoy the festive season and uh, and have a have a very happy Advent. You as well, David. Collaboration leads to the best innovation, so let's keep collaborating. Oh.